Hey, Barbie. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. So is yesterday, and so is tomorrow, and every day from now until forever. Yes! You guys ever think about dying? When my heart breaks. Some things have been happening that might be related. When my world shakes. Cold shower. Ooh. Falling off my roof. Ah! And my heels are on the ground. <gasps> have to do you have to go to the real world you can go back to your regular life or you can know the truth about the universe the choice is now yours the first one the high heel you have to want to know okay do it again closer i am to closer i am to i'm coming with you okay Wow, this is the real world. <laughs> What's going on? Why are these men looking at me? Yeah, they're also staring at me. Hello and welcome to the Movie Robcast. I'm your host, Rob Wallace, and as always, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by my co-host. I was trying to think of something witty Barbie-related, but nothing came. You could say my Ken. Yeah, that would be that would set up a very weird relationship dynamic. It would do, which we would then have to explore over the entire course of this episode. My fellow, my fellow Rob would work, you know. Which Rob are we relative to each other? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I'm beardy Rob. They discontinued me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Cindy, you're only available in France. (laughs) I think you still need to introduce your fellow Rob. You can do it yourself at this point. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Rob Daniel. And as always, it is a pleasure to be here. And I'm still trying to think of another Barbie joke. There's going to be so many Barbie jokes in this that don't worry. Yes. Smooth. So today, we're not only going to be talking about Barbie, we're going to be taking on the um, cultural moment that is Barbenheimer. Which, uh, for those who may be coming to this at a later date, may even be revisiting this sometime in the distant future as a valued historical document. (laughs) That Barbenheimer is... Um, why, why don't you explain? Well, Barbenheimer is a thing that I would like to know where it originated from, because I don't think it originated from a marketing machine from either studio, from either Universal or from Warner's. Uh, so Barbenheimer is basically this cultural moment that happened when people were quite taken by the idea that Barbie and Oppenheimer, the Christopher Nolan film, were being released on the same day. And that you couldn't get two films that were, on the surface, more different. So one is about a white-hot bomb, and the other one is Oppenheimer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they love it. So yeah, so what is a light and frothy confection on the surface? The other is Barbie. The other is Barbie. And, And the other is about a man who was the architect of the atomic bomb and the fallout for the world after that particular thing was created and then unleashed upon the planet. So yes, everyone was quite amused, I think, and quite taken by the idea, my god, there are these two films out that are so different, but they get released on on the same day. They're two massive studio films. Now, Oppenheimer's release date, the 21st of July, was fixed, like last year, I think, because 
there was a countdown because Nolan is all about time, of course. So there was a countdown clock to Oppenheimer's release. And because it's about the bomb, then that was a nice kind of gimmick. Nolan used to work for Warner Brothers, who released Barbie. And he had a massive falling out with Warner Brothers when during COVID, they said, we're going to pretty much for every single one of our films, bypass the theatrical experience and just release them on HBO Max or whatever it was back then. So all these films are pretty much just going to be watched on a TV now. And Nolan, of course, shoots an IMAX and he's all about the theatrical experience. He was so incensed by this that he essentially just ended his relationship with Warners, which is a relationship that had been a thing since 2005 with Batman Begins. And I, I bet he's really regretting that now because I think all the creatives that have stayed with them have found it to be really fulfilling. Yes, indeed, that's right. I mean, I think the Warners is still seen as the house of the artist, isn't it? I mean, if you make a film with us, we might even release it. That is not contractually binding that we're ever going to release your film. And even if we do release it, we might pull it from streaming and bury it in the vaults for obscure tax reasons. This might see the light of day for a month and then it might just disappear again. Although Disney have been guilty of that as well with Willow and other things on their platform. So anyway, yeah, so Nolan left Warners. It just seems a little bit weird that Warners then put Barbie up on the same day as Oppenheimer. That seems like a bit of a fuck you. Yeah, I mean, given that there's a Warner's film that came out on Friday, as of today, that includes a very explicit Kubrick reference, yes. and that is not the Nolan film that came out that day, is very weird. That's right, yeah, because of course Nolan is such a huge fan of Kubrick, and I think he says that 2001 is his favourite film, and it's a 2001 reference in Barbie that is at the very beginning of the film. And was previously released as a trailer. Which could be... A late edition, but now we're getting into conspiracy theory territory. There's no evidence to suggest that was done just to annoy Christopher Nolan. It is a very, very good sequence, though. We'll get onto that in just a sec. So yeah, so basically, um, for whatever reason, Barbie was released the same day as Oppenheimer. And rather than people choosing which one they were going to see and completely rejecting the other one, it seems that people quite like that idea. And... Well, Barbie opened to phenomenal business in the US and around the world. So it did something like 155 million Wow! Uh, at the US box office. And it makes it the biggest opening for a film directed by a woman ever. That woman being Greta Gerwig, who I think can now basically write her own ticket on what she does next. And there's a rumour she's doing Narnia. It was also additionally kind of funny. Fun. Sorry, fun. It's not funny. It's good. But based on the what the film is about... The fact that it's become the highest grossing film, you know, sorry, the highest opening uh, box office for any film directed by a woman, when the film kind of is so deeply explores ideas of female empowerment and... Yeah, obviously that will be one of the things we get into in the show. All the ideas that it's exploring and the way that it's exploring them. But yeah, so Barbie opens up to huge business. I think it did something like maybe just under 350 million around the world, something like that. It's done in three days, I think, what Dial of Destiny, and it has to be said Mission Impossible or something, have kind of done since they were released, that it's obviously can be buried the Flash, which I think has sputtered out at about 267 million around the world. So in three days, it's done more than the Flash did in its entire run. It's a huge hit. But Oppenheimer, which I actually had completely written off and thought it was kind of, as not kind of hubris to keep it there, next to the juggernaut that was Barbie because the word of mouth before Barbie came out was so positive and excited that it's like, oh my God, Oppenheimer's going to get completely buried by this film. No one's going to go and see a three-hour film about the guy who invented the atom bomb wrestling with his conscience. 
And they did. It turns out there was an audience appeal for that as well. So Oppenheimer did like $80.5 million in the States this weekend, which is incredible. And I think it's done something like another 90-odd around the world. So again, in three days, it's kind of eclipsed what the big blockbusters this year were doing. So Barbie kind of think, yes, I always and, and knew it, that would happen. And it means that, you know, although a um, thousand tabloid hacks have simultaneously grown when they realise they don't get to be the ones who do the Oppenheimer bombs. That was going to be the one that I was going to get bonused on this year. So yeah, so this whole Barbenheimer thing has actually turned out to be quite beneficial all round, including for the cinema going public, because they had, well, I'm going to say it now, two very interesting films this weekend that were a little bit different from what's been released up to the summer so far, including Mission Impossible, even though I really enjoyed that one. It was still a Mission Impossible film. These are just different movies. They just feel a bit different. So we're going to start off with Barbie, and then we'll do a separate episode for Oppenheimer. So, yeah, shall we start talking about Barbie? Is there anything else that you want to talk about? with the Barbenheimer thing, because I, at first, was just kind of writing it off as yet another tiresome internet thing. And then actually it was like, oh no, this is because my mum said, I think she it, referenced it. I think like, it well, broke through me. because it was fun and genuinely uncynical. Mm. Like, people were approaching from a position of like, yeah, it's so weird that these two very different films have come out on the same day, and people doing fan art of like, putting Barbie into the Oppenheimer poster, or Oppenheimer into the Barbie poster, or like mashing up the, sorry, I'm like combining the styles somehow. Yeah. And it's like genuinely been like a moment where film fans have gone, actually, can we just all agree that we're going to be, I mean, I'm sure there are people out there being unpleasant about the film Barbie, but where everyone kind of went, can we just agree to like both of these things and celebrate both of them and actually celebrate the comic juxtaposition of these two things is quite funny. Yeah, indeed, because up until now, I think it's one of those things that it would have been another one of those incredibly insufferable Twitter, sorry, X polls. Which team are you? Are you Team Oppenheimer? Team Barbie? And it's like, fuck off. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that. Like, let's put a division between everything. So I think you're right. I think it would, there is a refreshing lack of cynicism to this whole thing, saying we've decided to just embrace this strange thing that's happened in the release pattern, obviously started by movie fans, but was picked up by everyone in the end, including yeah, my mum. Did you Barbenheimer? I barbered Heimer the next morning, purely because I was working on Friday and thought, well, actually, for two reasons. One, Barbie finished at about eight, and pretty much everywhere showing Oppenheimer was completely sold out. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So you're like, on one hand, annoying. On the other hand, great. Yeah, indeed. So I went to see Oppenheimer the next morning, well, yeah, for a lunchtime screening. So yes, let's... Which is sorry, so I, I did Barbie Heimer. Okay, yes. I did, I, I took a half day at work yesterday, on the Monday, because I was away for the weekend. And then, yeah, I went to see Barbie around lunchtime, had a break, and then I went to see Oppenheimer in IMAX in the evening. Well, save the IMAX experience for the Oppenheimer episode. But here, how was it in terms of doing it in that order? Because most people were going to say, well, Oppenheimer first, then you go and see something light afterwards. So how was it doing it in the opposite direction? I think it worked. I mean, I think Barbie's got enough to it, and we obviously will discuss this, that it actually does give you some things to think about. Mm. Well, weirdly, I was probably more pensive coming out of Barbie than I was out of Oppenheimer. Wow, okay. Although that was partly because Oppenheimer did kick out at like half 11 at night. (laughs) Um, I'm glad I did it in the order that I did, because otherwise it it would have been weird going from, even just aesthetically, going from Oppenheimer to Barbie. Mm. Mm, yeah. Because um, it, it would have been got, like going from a kind of quote-unquote realistic to this kind of hyper, uh, very lurid palette. 
I wouldn't say lewd, but I'd probably... Pastel. Okay, very, a pastel palette. Yeah, kind of candy-coated something Can- like Yeah, candy-coated, yes, it can. It does make your teeth itch when you look at the film sometimes. And what was the gap, sorry, between... The gap was about... Yeah, to do... Probably about five hours, in all fairness. So actually, oh, like, okay. so like a decent... Like, you know, Barbie kicked out at around three, and Oppenheimer started uh, just after eight. Oh, okay, right. So you had time to process Barbie and do some other things, and... Yeah, you like you're running from one screen to another, saying, "Okay, now let's let's watch this one now." Then, oh, it's a bit different, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so more like Bob and Heimer did. <laughs> Whenever anyone asks you that question, I wanted to answer like that. I Bob and text watch Heimer did. <laughs> <laughs> I think right. jokes that are built around long pauses are inherently. And Funny. <laughs> and I'm not going to be cutting down the pauses that time. <laughs> be like, oh my god, this is already long enough as it is. So uh, stop using silence as a gag. <laughs> yes, it did. But also, don't do that as a gag. In fact, if we can just stick to the fucking material. Absolutely. Right. So, as is our want, what does the IMDb say about Barbie? The IMDb synopsis of Barbie is: Barbie suffers a crisis that leads her to question her world and her existence. That is a concise plot synopsis. Shall we put a bit more meat on the bones? Yes, so Barbie lives in Barbieland, which is a pastel-coloured fantasy, you know, idyllic fantasy world where all the Barbies live in these wonderful Barbie houses, live fulfilling lives in all sorts of roles. You know, you know all, the, all the prominent roles in society are made up of Barbies. It's this wonderful kind of imaginary world where all the women are incredibly empowered. I'm sorry, I said that, I said, sorry, the laugh in that is because it sets up something. Um, <laughs> not because that connection <laughs> is... Rob fights the idea yeah. of empowered women inherently funny. And in which they're also the Kens. The tagline for the film is, she's everything, he's just Ken. And the Kens are essentially kind of meatheads, but like well-meaning, generally good-natured, pining after Barbie. Yeah, they're kind of airheads. Yeah. So they're himbos. Yes, himbos. <laughs> Barbie, uh, or stereotypical Barbie, the Barbie played by Margot Robbie, starts experiencing feelings of dread and existential doubt that lead her to set out and journey to the real world where she can sort things out. And in that, she's joined by Ken. She reluctantly accepts Ken along for the ride. (laughs) Yeah, that's a pretty good way to describe the film without giving away the surprises. Because there were some really, really nice surprises here and lots and lots of very, very funny gags. So, uh... Rob, as you saw Barbie yesterday, it is fresh in your mind. What did you think of Barbie? I both really enjoyed it and also found it strangely moving. I initially thought, okay, like, this is going to be... And it was. It's a, it, bear, it bears some similarities for obvious reasons to the Lego movie. Mm. In terms of its kind of meta-textual look at a brand. That also, like, comments on the inherent inbuilt capitalist cynicism of making this film. That, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to deconstruct it. And it's like Mattel figures in it. I was about to say literally figures in it, but that sounds kind of like a contradiction in terms. Um, Mattel literally has a role to play in this film. Mattel being the company that makes Barbie. But essentially, it's a candy-coloured treatise on gender roles. Mm. And essentially... The how the patriarchy manages to oppress both women and men. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, which all sounds very, very heavy. The I think that the 
real joy of the film is just how light it is and how consistently funny it is. Everything in this film gets the tone exactly right. I, um, I enjoy the gags where they go, here's a Barbie or a Barbie spin-off that this thing actually existed. This has been discontinued yes, for a reason. That's right. And we'll give away one of them. There is a pregnant Barbie very early on. And I remember the pregnant Barbie coming out. I think it was during the 80s, or 80s early 90s. And Ben Elson did a very funny sketch about how they wanted to make Barbie much more realistic. So there's a pregnant Barbie and you take off the pregnant tummy when she has the baby and put on a flat tummy. Hmm. Realistic girls. That's right. <laughs> put on a flat tummy straight away. There's nothing you about know. Barbie kind of like, you know, having piles or anything like that. But that's one thing, you know, that along with the existential dread, Barbie also experiences, you know, other kind of human problems. It begins facing more, more kind of ordinary challenges that you wouldn't expect from kind of, you know, these plastic figures of, you know, idealised beauty and... Yeah, I think this one was ultimately very, very successful. I had a great time watching it. It was one of those where if you were to be unkind, you would say, well, basically what it's saying is women can be anything they want to be and they shouldn't be held back and... The patriarch is not very nice. No matter how ineffectual a man is, he will always rise quicker than a capable woman. But that's all true, right? I mean, we saw that with Trump and Clinton. That literally happened about seven years ago and for the biggest job in the world. So I kind of thought, okay, this film isn't particularly subtle in what it's trying to say. But the things that it's dealing with aren't particularly subtle. And we don't live in subtle times. And it's one of those where, to your point, it's also very good, but it kind of suggests that the patriarchy also uh, limits men as well and actually coarsens them and stops them from filling their potential. And there were lots of things like that in it that I thought were really, uh, really interesting. It was good the way that I saw this. And at first I didn't think it was going to be good. So I saw this after work on Friday at the Odeon Common Garden, which is kind of the nearest cinema to me that I like to go to. And it was a quarter to six in the evening screening, which is always my screening. And when I went to book my ticket on the Odeon app, we're not sponsored by Odeon, by the way. And I did not it on that the, attitude. <laughs> and I did it on the Wednesday and thought, oh, it's a little bit more busy than it normally is for a quarter to six, even on a Friday. This is, it's normally me. And that's about it. This is quite busy. And I always book the front row because it's a really good screen. There's enough of a gap between the front row and the screen that you can comfortably sit in the front row. Well, I did the same for Oppenheimer. Mm, yeah, it did. At the IMAX. <laughs> it was like the Stargate <laughs> from 2001. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but by the time I got there on Friday, it was a sellout. Literally, there wasn't a seat in the cinema left uh, for that screening or for the next screening either. And it was a predominantly female audience. And it was a real party atmosphere in there. And it's like, oh, well, this will be one of those where I'll kind of review the audience as much as I review the film then. Because I don't think this audience is going to really want to pay attention to the film that much. I think they're here for a party. And also it's like, in that situation, you're like, I'm also not going to be the one to tell people to shut up. Because, <laughs> yeah, indeed, this <laughs> middle-aged man say, can you keep it down, please? Although I would say, I'm watching the Barbie movie. I'm watching the Barbie. <laughs> um, but as it, as it turns out, my preconceptions were totally wrong. The audience was really great. And it was a better film because of the vibe. It'll be interesting to watch this film again, because the vibe in uh, the cinema was so joyful positive receptive audience who yeah it was like and it really was joyful it was like there was a real emotional response to this film and i have to admit i mean i wasn't moved by this film beyond thinking this is a very very sweet movie and its message is i think unimpeachable 
So it's really interesting to read people like Ben Shapiro or see them on Fox News saying about how this is the worst example of wokeism ever. Um, ben Shapiro can write. Yeah, indeed. And that is disappointing. It's like, well, this film is so good-natured and it has such a positive message and it's so inclusive that I don't know why you would choose to not like this. I think you're doing it because you have an agenda, an agenda this film doesn't have. And it's a film that could have an Wait, agenda. Ben Shapiro has an agenda? Yeah. <laughs> and Ben Shapiro just inserts any of you know, right-wing knob that you want to hear and it has to be said i was in the front row there were four friends to my left uh, all of whom were in their early 20s there was a woman to my right on the end of the row who was also in her early 20s and it was like i am bringing the age of this audience up by quite a lot i think i don't think there's many people in here who are my age and no one else has a notepad on their lap <laughs> and actually, yeah that, I, that, I say that the, the cinema wasn't booked out when i went to it because i went to a mid like a mid after, early afternoon screening you know on a work day yeah it was still quite busy and again yeah i was the only one with a notepad because it was so packed, in the end, I actually saved my note-making until the end. I thought, I'm not going to you know, write here. I don't think these people came to see the white glow of my notepad as I scribbled down my thoughts. But yeah, I thought it was... Everything about the film was positive, and also, it was really funny. But I think it's one of those things where, if you have to give it a star rating, I'd say this is a four-star film, because it didn't move me. And I don't think it can move me as much as it moved the women in the audience because I'm not a woman, there was a real response to this film from a female perspective. And you could just feel it in the audience. It was actually really quite extraordinary. Some of the scenes with Margot Robbie, when she's talking about what is expected of her, you could just see the audience, or you could feel the audience responding to that. And at the end of the film, one of the women in the group to my left, I mean, she was elated by it. And I said, I never cry at Weepers, but I cried so much at that film and it's just so moving. And there was like a real buzz from the audience. I mean, there was, there was another woman, again, she was in her 20s, who walked out of the cinema with her boyfriend. I had to say her boyfriend had looked a bit bored. And it's like, well, it was consistently funny, mate. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of jokes in that film that everyone can get. And she said, that film was everything to me. <laughs> It's like, wow. And then when I was walking up to Euston Square, I walked past the Tottenham Court Road Odeon, where I saw Oppenheimer the next day. That was kicking out a Barbie screening. All these women were coming out, all laughing, all really, really giddy at just how much they'd responded to this film. And it's like, it's a very nice vibe in the city tonight because of this Barbie movie. That's really sweet. Everyone's in a really, really good mood because they've all just seen Barbie. So yeah, it was actually quite a special trip to the cinema. And if I'd seen how packed it would be when I first went to book a ticket, I might have thought twice about going. But yeah, it was quite quite something. Because also, the way that it's been conceived and stylized is... It does feel like, just because of the colour palette, like a throwback, it feels like kind of one of those 60s... There's something about it that feels so retro. I think that's partly just because of the Barbie aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And, and something about the energy to it. And the, the fact it's like, it's there's obviously when it opens up, it's got that kind of naivete of these people, of these Barbies and, and these Kens inhabiting this fantasy world. And it manages to kind of comment on that and introduce kind of the real world without ever losing the charm. And when they cross over into the real world, obviously, it's not quite as pleasant. And it looks or, different. And it looks different. But it does that without ever being jarring. Yeah. 
and there's some really like you know her walking over to the construction site being like this will be a place of you know good feminine energy <laughs> yeah and <laughs> or, it was or words to that effect oh that's what she said <laughs> yeah that's the thing is that it's an indie movie it has an indie movie vibe to it even though it costs about 175 million I think which I thought was was much more than I thought it would have cost I thought it would have cost under 100 million maybe the pink paint that apparently reduced the amount of pink paint in the world maybe that did cost a lot of money but um it looks very very pretty and retro to begin with but it's that very artificial as you said kind of 50s 60s look to it which is obviously where barbie started and in a way kind of reminded me of don't worry darling the film from last year this is i think the more box office friendly version of don't worry darling (laughs) These would be a fascinating double bill. Don't worry, darling. Starring an actress, of course, was the lead in, or one of the leads in Greta Gerwig's previous, most most recent previous film. That's right, Little Women. And was also in Oppenheimer. Yeah, I was about to say, I wonder what she's up to now. I wonder what Florence Pugh's up to at the moment. Yeah. So the indie aesthetic, I think, came through really well. It also came through well in the sensibility of the humour. The humour's very offbeat, but when you get huge movie stars like Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling to be in on the joke, that kind of carries people along as well. Because there is a lot of quite surreal humour in here in terms of some of the meta-commentary and things like that. And it's also one of those nice films to wrestle with in terms of, okay, Mattel are uh, making fun of themselves in terms of how they're structured, in terms of the amount of men on the board, all those sort of things. And they're laughing all the way to the bank because they're making so much money from this. And all of the merchandising around this film is going to make them even more money. Well, I say also yeah. because you know there are there are parts where Barbie's having to deal with human emotion and human fallibility, where she doubts, you know, how you know I'm I'm so ugly, and the film does kind of have to address the fact that this is Margaret Robbie. Yeah, yeah, indeed, that was really funny. There's also a reference to a superhero film that is so funny. Well, it was very funny to me. I laughed out loud to the point where the women around me looked at me. I just found it much funnier than anyone else around me. <laughs> And the visuals were great in terms of those really amazing shots that I think might have been shot with with that lens that makes everything look miniature, that made them look like toys when they're driving around in their cars and stuff. And it's like, well, that's just an amazing effect because that does look like a toy with a little doll in it. I wonder if that's CGI, but I think it might have been because I think that they actually built that huge Barbie land. I think that was... Yeah, I think most of it was a practical construction. Which is amazing because it looks practical, right? I mean, I do like the fact that when she's having... A shower in the morning, there's no water coming out and everything is like, yeah, make-believe when she drinks the drink or drinks the orange juice, there's no orange juice in there. And, and she floats down from the upstairs of, of, her, of her Barbie house because that's obviously, that's just how kids play. Yeah, indeed. And that was a really nice idea and I thought that's that really been done before where you just acknowledge the fact that this is how toys move, that they'll just glide down from one floor to another because that's how kids play. And again, the audience really just immediately got what was happening and really, really responded to it. Yeah, so what do you think of the cast? Impeccable. I mean, Margot Robbie, again, is not only just obviously physically perfect casting for stereotypical Barbie, as she's referred to in the film, but she she's wonderful at doing that kind of chipper, sort of superficial kind of stuff. But she also, you know, she really gets the kind of emotional depths of, of Barbie grappling with existential dread and difficulties of reality. And Ryan Gosling also, also has really fun because he, he's, he also gets to do the kind of bright, shiny, happy, but with a much more, I guess, immediately underlying angst because he always pines for Barbie, who likes him but wants to be a friend with him, but he doesn't exist unless she's looking at him. Because yeah. the whole thing is an inverse, of course, of the real world. Because it's Barbie and Ken. Because it's Barbie and Ken. And without her, he's nothing. 
There was a lot of comic mileage was got out of that, I thought. I thought going in, they might uh, that the film would at least, you know, tangentially explore ideas of, like, patriarchy and gender roles. I wasn't expecting it to go as hard as it does on, on tropes around... Or, no, sorry, say tropes, around toxic masculinity. Well, that's interesting. Talk about that. In terms of the fact that, you know, Ken is... Because, you know, they are, they are in very superficial way embodiments of male and female gender roles how Ken is kind of easily corrupted or just so... Not, not even gullible. He's so open to these ideas. He, well, he's beguiled. He's beguiled, exactly, yeah. Well, he's, think, so, he's so susceptible to... Well, I think it's one of those things that when he enters a world... Because the whole thing is like, okay, the way that Ken is reacting is the way that women would react if they went into a matriarchy. So Ken is going into a world where his sex is the dominant sex and people seem to value him more. That was interesting in terms of how, yeah, how he responded to that and how things then, in the 12th certificate way, became a little bit darker. Because I was thinking, okay, they deal with sexual threat kind of momentarily and then they dispense with it. Well, I'm saying that from like a male point of view, obviously. But the idea of not being safe is addressed at one point in the dialogue and then isn't really returned to. The idea of being subjugated and treated as a second-class citizen is treated a lot in the film. But the toxic masculinity was interesting in terms of how they said, well, obviously we can't get too dark with this. And I don't think that's the kind of film that, it, that the audience wanted either. So I thought it was interesting the way that they raised that, because when I realised what it was doing, it's like, well, you're going to have to say at some point, well, that's Margot Robbie. She can't just walk around in that outfit without there being some kind of uh, potential for threat unfortunately. And they did. And it was dealt with and then they moved on. And I thought, yeah, that's probably the best way to do it for this sort of film, because this film is not Don't Worry Darling. Yes, we'll make an interesting double bill with Don't Worry Darling. Or a triple bill with, in terms of, you know, a thematic bridge between Don't Worry Darling and Paddington. Something like that. Okay, just in terms of I just, haven't seen Paddington so well. Just in terms of like the kind of charm and like nuance that bringing that to yes, I mean Paddington is not anywhere near thematically deep, but in terms of yeah, bringing that kind of aesthetic and that kind of charm to the the themes of Don't Worry, Darling. Right. Okay. Yeah, because I did read a review saying this film could easily have been the Trolls movie. It could have just been a Barbie film. It could have been animated. They do know they've got there are loads of those. Oh yeah, there are loads of animated art Barbie films. Yeah, straight, straight to video. Straight to, yeah. So Ryan Gosling. I mean, there is an element of the fact that in all the discussion of the film, including amongst some of my female friends, they've talked about Ryan Gosling more than they've talked about Margot Robbie. That's interesting, particularly in the cultural discussion in magazines and on shows and whatnot. The first thing I read about Barbie when the reviews came out was Ryan Gosling has to get an Oscar for this, and it's like. Is Margot Robbie any good in it? <laughs> and I'm not sure if that's sexism. I think it's just one of those things where he has the more attention-grabbing role because he is the comic foil. So therefore, you recognize, you just remember him more. Although I would say that the ending of the film, uh, the spectacular climactic point of the film, is based around him. And that's the point that the audience got lots of laughs. And then there's like another ending that's based around her that is, because of the nature of the film, more introspective. And to some degree, almost a bit Terence Malick. I got a slight... Oh, go on, I don't get that. Oh, just in terms of, like, the kind of slightly hazy, engaging with these profound themes in actually quite a immediate way. I mean, hazy in terms of the visuals? Yeah, or? yes, yeah. 
I suppose so, yeah. Yeah, in terms of like a visually diffuse-looking meditation on the nature of being. Yes, with a voiceover <laughs> that's kind of spelling out the themes. Yeah, um, And I was like, and that also let me think, like, this film opened with a Kubrick parody... And in the closing moments, I mean, I'm getting like a sense of Terence Malick. It's like, I was not expecting this from the Barbie movie. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's there if you want it and... Well, it's there if you want it at the end. I have to admit, I didn't pick up on that. The opening with the 2001 homage, not many people in the audience got that. And there was it was slightly an underwhelmed response from the audience to that. I think maybe that's just got to go with going like, we just need to get the film nerds on board. Pretty sure, <laughs> got, pretty sure the general movie going demographic, hopefully it's particularly the female demographic, that we need to get the movie nerds on board. Some of the, you know, especially some of the male movie nerds who might just be hostile to this and have gone along like maybe as a hate watch or maybe because they <laughs> want to be snark, they want to be snarky about it on the internet. Not watching it would prevent them from being snarky about it on the internet. So let's try and let's try and win them over real hard right now. Two thousand one. So do you mean the boyfriends, Greta? No, not the boyfriends. <laughs> the nerds, the, the movie nerds. They tend to be single. They are at home watching 2001 saying, I don't need a girlfriend. So let's give them an homage to that film. And it does work very well because the kids they've cast are great in terms of how they look and they're all in their kind of gingham dresses like it's in the 1950s or something. It did make me laugh. But I was probably one of two people in the audience laughing at that point saying, really guys? Okay, fair enough. But even at that point, I was thinking, this audience is better than I thought it would be because no one's talking or on their phones, even though I don't think they really get what this is from. That's amazing. And it continued like that. And then when it got into the her day and her living her day, that was like, okay, this film is immediately winning over the audience. But yeah, but the cast were good. And as we said, the Margot Robbie was kind of perfect as Barbie. I mean, it's just in terms of the heavy lifting for that character that there's a lot of humanising that she needs to do in just her face that was like, well, that is quite extraordinary when you watch her go from that permagrin of everything being fine to realising, no, things are much more confused than I thought. And just where the doubt just crept across her face was like, well, that is an amazing bit of acting. So, yeah. And, and you know, and like a really extensive supporting cast... Yeah. Including, let's get it out so I can actually read out some Well, while you're looking at because there are two other women in the cast we need to talk about, but we can't really say what they do in the film without spoiling it. Oh, wow. When you Google Barbie, you get pink fireworks. Oh, wow. Okay. Everyone should do that. And the colour palette is pink on the Google page. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, because there's um, America Ferreira, who plays a character called Gloria, and Ariana Greenblatt, who plays a character called Sasha. And again, we can't really talk about them without spoiling. I mean, um, we can talk about, yeah, I guess, the elements that Will Ferrell's in it. Which feels like another kind of reference to the uh, Lego movie. There are also various other versions of Barbie, including ones played by uh, Issa Rae, uh, Alexander Ship, Emma Mackey, Harry Neff, Sarah, uh, and this is just me reading off the Wikipedia page, Sharon Rooney, Anna Cruz Kane, uh, Ritu Arya, Dua Lipa, yeah, yes. Nicola Coughlin, uh, Met Narrative, Arisa Abella, Lucy, Boyn- uh, Lucy Boynton, and Kate McKinnon. And various Kens, including um, Sima Liu, who is uh, from Shang-Chi. Yeah. Uh, Kingsley Benadir, who are probably people... Well, we, we know from... I think we've definitely at least talked about him in uh, One Night in Miami, because he played Malcolm X. Right. Did you say Michael Sarah? Uh, not yet. Because okay. he's, he's, he's not a Ken. Um, uh, I was, yes, yeah, so you're going through the Ken. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Scott Evans, Shuti Gatwa. He's having a bit of a... He's going to be having a bit of a year of it between this and Doctor Who. And a couple of the other ones that I won't spoil because they're unexpected cameos. Yeah. But yeah, Michael Cera, who plays Alan, who was a real life intended to be like the friend of Ken. He even fits into Ken's clothes. <laughs> and he really likes Ken. <laughs> I like the way that was introduced. And it was just great to see Michael Cera again because I haven't seen him in years. It was 
weird that when Jesse Eisenberg came along, it seemed as if Hollywood said, well, we don't need Michael Cera anymore. We've got Jesse Eisenberg. And it's like, oh, well, I like Michael Cera. He was very and, and, well cast. And, and Midge is meant to be his wife. The pregnant Barbie is meant to be Alan's wife. Oh, right. Although the film never touched on that because I think they decided to code Alan slightly differently. Well, I think, yeah, Alan's beard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Midge is Alan's beard. Emerald Fennel is Midge. And she wrote Promising Young Woman and yeah. she directed it. There are nice indie links to the casting in this film as well. Yeah, so we have America Ferrara and Ariana Greenblatt play mother and daughter. They're very, very good. It would be a spoiler to kind of give too much away around what they do in the film. But but they play into some of the themes around... Yeah, yeah, indeed, around what the film is saying. And yeah, I mean, there's a whole element of this which is very, very Toy Story 3 as well. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this film. I really enjoyed it. It'd be interesting to watch it again on a small screen. It's one of those where I'm slightly trepidatious about watching it again. Because, well... It was so good with that audience. And that audience just really elevated the entire mood of the cinema because of the way they were responding to this film. That it's like, is it going to not work as well on a with second a, view with without that? Yeah. yeah. But probably we'll watch it again, though, because there's a lot to revisit in this. And also there'll be things that I missed. Like, um, there's one point when it kind of goes into the more negative way that Barbie has been viewed over the years. And at, and at one point she gets called a fascist. And apparently there's, while she's saying why she's not a fascist, she says, I'm not in charge of the trains. And I completely missed that. Which is a very good joke. Yeah. But also it's like, does that mean that Barbie understands what fascism is? Where did she get this information? There are elements of that in terms of the meta-commentary sometimes punctures the internal logic of the film. Because it's like, well, she seems to know a lot about these sort of things when she's come from this utopia where none of that has happened before. It's also... Although there may be a fascist Barbie that has probably also, yeah. been, also been discontinued. <laughs> yes, that's right. Ayn Rand Barbie. Exactly. Or it's like, like I mean, this, is currently, this is currently my top five of the year. I haven't really put together a top ten yet. Sleeping on the job, Daniel. Sleeping on the job. There's a few films I need to see. A lot of websites were doing the clickbait of best films of the year so far at the end of June. And it was like, yep, quite a few of these I haven't seen. I do need to catch up on some of these movies. I think I'm pretty much up to date on my viewing. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yeah. How many films have you seen this year so far? 256. (laughs) 256 new films. Well, sorry, they're not necessarily newly released films, but films I haven't seen before. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Which is very good going. You are going to average much more than a film a day by the end of the year. Are you enjoying it? Do you hate cinema now? <laughs> I'm meaning to tell you. This art form is for shit. Yeah. What? <laughs> and seeing, seeing Barbie and Oppenheimer only confirmed that for me. That's right, yeah. It's a moribund art form. Really? I thought there was lots of really, really positive things happening in those films. Nope. Yes, so... Um, that's interesting. Top five. Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. So you preferred it to Megan? Did Megan come out this year? Yeah, did yeah. Blimey. It was January. Because <laughs> Megan could be my top ten of the year. Megan was ace. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I don't think Megan's making my top ten. But then again, I have seen more films than you, so... Yeah. That's going to be my... My malignant. No, my malignant of the year. But I'm not malignant. It will actually stay in my top ten. And I won't realise, oh no, I've miscounted. That's now number eleven. Anyway, that was a deep cut to an old end of year episode. <laughs> so I think I might have run out of steam. But anything from you on any other aspect of Barbie? No, other than to say I was hoping I'd really enjoy it. I mean, I think based on everybody involved, there was a strong chance, and I really did. It did make me want to go out and buy a Barbie, I have to admit. It's like, 
Well, that worked. Was there subliminal advertising in that? If there was like a... But she's got a new hat. <laughs> yeah, sorry. sorry. Yes, that's that's right. a, that is a... If anybody didn't get that, that is a Simpsons reference. Yes, that's a Smithers, isn't that's it? That's a Smithers reference. Yeah, indeed. Well, there is a nice moment in the film when a character says, oh, I, uh, I was told, no, you can't get that new one just because you lost the boots on your old one. And you would buy the whole thing again just because you lost an accessory for it. I think they might have been a session where they just sat down and talked about what it was like to play with Barbies when they were all younger and the kind of things they were doing. And one of them would be, oh no, I've lost this. I need to buy the entire thing again to replace the boots or something. Yeah, that's really sweet. Well, I think that's it from us for this one. We're going to dive straight into Oppenheimer now, but you will have a break. Much like Rob had a break when he went to see the two films. But do you want to take us out? Yeah, well, Mr. Daniel, thank you as always. Um, If our listeners are looking for you online, where can they find you? Well, thank you for asking. Yes, if you want to find me on X, it's going to be called X by the time this gets released. Can we just not refer to it as X? Can we just keep calling it Twitter? Yeah, let's just call it Twitter because, well, as Channel 4 said, because they apparently changed 4OD... To all four years ago now. Yeah, about 10 years ago. And when Twitter said they were changed to X, Channel 4 put out a tweet saying, yeah, good luck with that. We changed our name from 4OD years ago and people still call us 4OD. I thought, that's brilliant. Did you see that ITV also released the ITVX logo, the ITV Bird? (laughs) (laughs) So I do like the way that everyone's just taken the piss out of him for this because X has a very good Guardian review that talks about how Elon Musk is obsessed with X. Yeah, didn't he try to call PayPal X? Yeah, it, it was it was X Bank or something like that. Yeah, there's something like that. It's amazing yeah. that he doesn't seem to understand how SEO works. Yeah, like there was a Tesla would spell sexy. Like, yeah, there'd be like a Model S, a Model E, a Model X and a Model Y. Even though his people said Ford are never going to release the Model E to anyone else apart from Ford. So that can't work. So it was a three. It was like a model three. And then what? So it could spell sexy. And there's a sexy meeting room in Twitter now, which is also spelt with a three. And there's like a expand meeting room. And it's anyway. I prefer extortion. The X is. Yes, indeed. The X makes, the X makes it cool. I just... So that's, that's a Futurama joke. Sorry for... Oh, is that okay, right. I was thinking, I just like... Why, yeah, black, that's Bender saying he prefers the word extortion to blackmail because the X makes it cool. Okay. <laughs> When it comes to Twitter, I'd like extinct, if at all yeah. possible. That would be great, wouldn't it? Um, expunged. It's another one. Exhausted. I think we can all agree that we feel that. So, yeah. But for the moment, I am on Twitter. And that's at Rob underscore A underscore Daniel. Although I am thinking about just fucking jacking that in. Because um, oh, I just hate it. Anyway. But for the moment, I am. You can also find my writing at electric-shadows.com. You can find me on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash robdan. If you've liked Rob and myself talk about Barbie, then why not listen to us talk about its spiritual cousin, the 1986 movie Highlander. I don't think there's any way to link those two, really. But um, anyway, Rob and I did a podcast about that wonderful film where we went through the entire film scene by scene with some amazing guests. And that's called Another Time McLeod. And you can find that wherever you're listening to this. McLeod is spelt M-A-C-L-E-O-D. You can find that on Twitter at McLeod Time. And if you want, you can drop us a Highlander-themed email at whowantstopodforever at gmail.com if you, like us, love that film Highlander. And let's face it, who doesn't? It's quite simply one of the finest films ever made. But Rob, how about you? Yes, uh, well, if you're looking for me online, you can find me 
on Twitter at Robert M. Wallace. <laughs> You can also find my writing, such as it is, at of all the film sites, www.ofallthefilmsites.com. I actually recently uh, reviewed the film You Hurt My Feelings. The, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, the new um, uh, Nicol Holofcener. Right. Uh, with starring uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus and uh, Tobias McKenzie, which is well worth a look. I'll give it a um, read. Yes. Uh, if you're, more importantly, if you're looking to follow this podcast, you can do so at the Movie Robcast. I believe I got that right. Or drop us a... Oh, what? Sorry. On Twitter, sorry, you can drop us. Uh, we're at the Movie Robcast on Twitter. The Movie Robcast. It's the. Is, is there a the? We're at Movie Robcast on Twitter, <laughs> or you can drop us a an email uh, at moviebroadcast at gmail or you can follow us on Instagram at the Movie Robcast. Clear as mud. Clear. <laughs> uh, and yeah, if you have enjoyed this, please do rate and review because it does help with the algorithm. If you haven't enjoyed this, well, I mean, always nice to get feedback, but. Maybe 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 email that one to us. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, well, thank you again, Mr. Daniel. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for listening. And we will be back with you very soon. And he's not Joe Ken. <laughs> oh no. <sighs> that one didn't land. No, that one landed <laughs> at speed. That one detonated in the lower atmosphere. <laughs> No, I won't let you do just one appendectomy. But I'm a man. But not a doctor. Can I talk to a doctor? You are talking to a doctor. Can I need a clicky pen? No. A sharp thing? No. There he is. Doctor! Somebody get security.